Hello, good afternoon and welcome. Welcome back to Ross FM. Welcome back Ursula, to Ross FM. I'm sure the rest of you are all here tuned in. Can I take this opportunity of saying Happy New Year? May it be a healthy year of the tiger. Uh, St. Bridget, I hope she brings many blessings. I, I'm remembering my mum on today as well, so I am. And uh, there's one question I want to ask you. What date is today? Well, it's the, ter- it's the two twos, not the terrible twos, the twos. It's two two twenty two. A very unusual day. So make a wish for today. I have a packed uh, programme this afternoon. And for my next guest, I actually need uh, an hour and a half. And I asked the manager of the radio if we could do that. And um, he's trying to put out all the stops. I know. I'm delighted to to welcome Kate Kelly Desmond and Lucy Kelly Desmond. Uh, Both are artists in their own right. And... um, Myself and Kate were chatting away here earlier on, and my goodness, what a life Kate has lived, and a, an, an amazing life outside of being an artist. So, can I welcome you both, ladies? Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Yes, um, Kate, it was you I actually invited in originally, and then, Kelly, you're an artist in your... Or, sorry, Lucy, you're an artist in your own right, yeah. but um, we'll come back to you later on in the year yeah. and, and chat about your, your world of art. Yeah. Um, Kate... You started your life in London. Yeah, I was born in London. Uh, yeah, and educated there, and uh, I've been in Ar- living in Ireland about thirty years now. Yes, but living in Roscommon for about tw- nearly twenty years, I think, in the West. You're not that old. You can't be that old, <laughs> or else the pond's cream, the pond's cream is working. You s- right, you're, you're living in Roscommon for the last twenty years, and you're a well-known artist here in Roscommon, and you have art up in the Roscommon uh, Art Centre at the moment. Yeah, the exhibition yeah. at the moment, yeah, which was um, put together to reflect the work of artists, uh, the kind of work that people had been doing during the pandemic, because some artists had to find different places to work or they were confined to home and they had to choose different subjects to, to work on. So. Okay, um, I'm going to start at the end and then we're going to work back to your, your, your life, an yeah. amazing life. I, I, I can't wait to chat with you about that. Your, your art, you tell me, in the last two years um, was inspired by the garden, yeah. by being in the garden, yes. by your garden. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, I've always loved the garden and I've always been very passionate about it, but never spent as much time learning about gardening as during the pandemic. And I found that when it all started, I couldn't do any art for almost a year. No, I, I think I was too stressed and shocked and trying to come to terms with it all. So, of course, we had lovely weather. And I just spent nearly all the time outside as much as I could. The whole day I'd be outside in the garden. So I started doing things like growing things from seed, taking cuttings, just learning. Yeah. Um, whereas before I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had the time to observe or to take care of things as much. And I just found it was wonderful. It was so healing, and uh, exciting because you were looking forward to the next step with the garden all the time. Yeah, and I, I think as well as that, like you say, when you're developing your own garden. Uh, there's a magic in it. Yeah. Uh, my mum used to say pottering around, and it literally is yeah. watching things grow, watching yeah. things develop, yeah. the colour that comes out, the way that... Mm. Uh, I remember a florist one time saying to me, you know, you go into the shop and you're looking to get flowers to put together. All the flowers blend together. They don't... Mm. Yeah. You don't have yes. to pick them to no, blend absolutely. together. absolutely, they do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. a purple and a red will go together. They might not go right. together in yeah. an outfit, but it will yeah. in a... 
a flower garden yeah, and, and, yeah. and then so you developed your garden yeah started to do that and we've got lots of plans for the future with it as well because uh, we have a field beside our garden and we had a horse and a donkey in it for years right and the poor old horse died of old age just at the beginning of the pandemic we were heartbroken about that but it meant that now we've got plans to develop that into more garden areas and we've planted an orchard, we've got a wildflower meadow. You know, we've tried... Don't be giving out your address or I'll be out there. Yeah. I'll be out there before... up the bulbs, the two kittens. I have to chase them with a hose <laughs> <laughs> to get them away. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. A, not a, a kitten-friendly garden. It's a, it's a playing garden They always kittens. want the most yeah. pretty things yeah. to dig up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And we garden organically. I mean, I don't use any chemicals or any anything like that. And I just try and get all the insects in, all the creatures, the birds, whatever. So we had a huge amount of wildlife last summer. And insects I'd never seen before. I mean, it was just fascinating. It was wonderful. Yeah. Okay, mm. well, I'm inviting myself to the garden. Good. So I am yeah, during the summer. Uh, maybe, Lucy, when I'm coming to chat with you, maybe yeah. it's the garden we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll chat in. Wouldn't that be lovely? Wouldn't that be lovely? Yeah, we do an outside little, yeah, meet the cats and meet the, the garden family. I'd love to do that. Yeah. Now, Katie, prior to 20 years in Roscommon and you, you painted with watercolours and you did uh, pencil drawings. Yes, well, the current work I'm doing now, which is based on the garden, I was sort of documenting the garden through the seasons. Uh, I started using watercolour for that and I hadn't really used watercolour before, but it, it was really drawing. My main focus was on drawing and observing and trying to get back to drawing which is the root of art, really, yeah. drawing is. So. so going back before that, you were painting? Yeah, and I did a paint, my degree was painting. Yeah, yeah. And what sort, what type of painting would you have been doing? Again, would that have been watercolours? Would it have been uh, acrylic? No, um, not, we didn't, in college, we didn't do watercolours at all. It was uh, mostly acrylic um, and oil, you know, um, at that time. So... Yeah. We'll start when you, you arrived in Ireland. Yes. Um, Lucy decided she was going to go to college in Moat. Yes. You were going to be a mammy driver. The driver, yeah. <laughs> and what did uh, mammy Kate driver decide for herself that she would do? Well, I decided, because Moat was a long way from where we live. Like, we live in Dyset, so it, was, it would be a long, long drive. Yeah. And I thought, I'm going to have to do that drive, leave her off come home, do it again in the evening and back again. And at the back of my mind as well, I kind of had been thinking for a while, I would love to do some, some type of art. So I asked them if, the, actually the class was full, but I went to one of the teachers and I said, you know, would there be a place for me? And she said, yes. So we went together and we did the two years in Moat together. Yeah. And it was wonderful. I mean, because we could share all our frustrations yeah. and you know the, the things that were working well the things that weren't and so we started up a little studio in our garden that which we shared right. and my half of it is really untidy so I do get given out to a lot <laughs> so mammy is still mammy she has still to climb <laughs> over my sewing machine to get to her part of the studio to step yeah. over all the boxes and yeah. all the clutter <laughs> mm. so and then from there from Moat the two we of both you both went to Galway we both went to Galway Lucy did a full-time four-year textile design course 
and I started the six-year part-time painting course. Okay. So that developed on into you being the being a, an artist, as in um, painting would, would have been yes. your art. Yeah. And prior to that, you uh, you were a writer. Well, I did um, my degree, and I trained to teach. Uh, you know, when I was in my twenties, um, I did a master's in literature, English literature, and I did it um, also. Part of it was um, was Irish literature, but it was Irish literature in English as okay. opposed to you know in the Irish Australia. language. Yeah. yeah. And but did you tell me that you you would have growing up be more inclined to be the your art medium would have been writing your sister was a a painter my sister was the artist in the family and she was obviously the artist and she's a real all-rounder she can do nearly everything she turns her hand to very talented so and my my direction really was with words I was you know I was always good at English and music my two things really so I just, in my head, I'd sort of divided us into, she's the artist, I'm the, possibly the writer. I always wanted to be a writer, um, but never actually, you know, we always had to have a job and teaching was the thing. Yeah. So I went into teaching. Yeah, that, that, that kind of was an Irish thing. You yeah. must have a, a job. I mean, yes. this art thing, whatever that yeah. st- And my, really my sister job. said to me recently, she always wanted to go to art college. She'd never told me that before. But she did nursing. So it was the Irish thing. She had to have the profession, the nursing. I did the teaching. And probably neither of us, really. It probably wasn't the right choice for either of us. Maybe not career-wise, but, I mean, it was your life's journey as well. Now, I know I'm skipping around bits and bits, and I'm getting through a couple of little bits that I want to get to. Kate, tell us what you did back in the late 70s, early 80s. 80s. Yeah. Well, I taught for in secondary school in London for a couple of years, and then I gave up teaching. It was very, very stressful. I won't go into that, but I gave up teaching um, and did something else for a while. And then I got involved with peace and justice um, in my own parish and got very friendly with a group of And where was your people. parish? Um, well, it was in North London. The peace and justice group was in Whetstone. Okay. So all my friend, that group of friends, there were about eight of us, uh, became very friendly. Um, and out of that, I started working for Pax Christi, which is an international peace movement. And I got the job as peace education officer, and I did that for eight years, during the 1980s, from about 1980 to 87, 88, it must be, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And during that time... Tell us some of what was happening in the world of the London world. and the world as we know today. Yeah, it was it was a fascinating time because um, there was the Cold War which and uh, the threat of nuclear war, which was very much in people's minds. Um, and the Berlin Wall hadn't come down, you know, till after that time. There was the hunger strikes were going on, you know, with the North. And we had bombing. That was, that, for anyone that's listening in, that was uh, where... People were interned in the north in uh, Long Kesh was the yeah. prison of yeah. choice at that time. And a lot of the prisoners, uh, to get recognised and to get their story out, uh, went on hunger strike and some of those prisoners died. Yeah. That's how, That's right. how yeah. 
tough that time was. Um, yeah, and Margaret Thatcher was, was, in power. was in power and she was extremely stubborn and immovable and all of that. It was uh, the lady was so, not perturbed. Yeah, mm. yeah yes. so there was that going on. Um, there was the Falklands War during that time. Yes. Um, and Greenham Common, the women, uh, a lot of, some of the women who were camping out in Greenham Common were Pax Christi members. We had a few. So I never camped out there. I wouldn't be that brave. But <laughs> I did go, we did go a few times to support them. Hmm. Now yeah. tell me, what was Greenham Common like? You know, being there, was there a sense of power or was it... Yeah, Greenham Common. I mean, we'd go. I think we used to go most, mostly on a Saturday. There'd be a massive crowd of people there, and because of the work that we did, I worked very much with other peace uh, organisations. So it was very much um, sharing of ideas and all of that. So I remember being there, and I remember us having a really big prayer vigil, where we were praying for, well, actually praying for the people of Russia, that we wouldn't drop bombs on them. I mean, it was, it was as, as real as that. I have a vision. A cheesecloth, long, long skirts. Was that really what uh, the common was looked like, or am I imagining? Braids um, in our hair. Yeah, I mean, a very sort of, a lot of people have very sort of hippie sort of images. But I remember we had one of the Pax Christi uh, members was a grandmother. She was a midwife. And she was a grandmother and she was camping out there and it was freezing cold and very basic. Don't, they didn't have toilets or anything. Um, so, yeah, it was very... And, and there was the fear of the police and yes, you know, because get, getting arrested and all of that. So, um, I mean, that would, that would come into your head sometimes, you know, what would I do if I was arrested? Would I be able to cope with prison and all of that? I mean, it never did come to that. But some of those people did were arrested and would that have influenced your life um let's say today when you're out in your garden looking at your your plants growing would would your peacekeeping days uh, come to mind or is that something you put to bed now and moved on or does it influence your art oh there's yeah three questions there you can ask <laughs> yeah well they would because there's a lot of parallels i suppose between what happened then and, and things that are happening now i mean at yeah. the moment um you know the tensions with uh, russia and everything mm. so i thought here we go again like it's i mean we sort of lived with that constant feeling that you know war could break out at that time and, and when the falkland war happened I remember being quite frightened that it was going to escalate, it was going to be something much bigger, mm. um, you know. And then there was another um, a, another part of your journey, and, and that was uh, the buddy system in yeah. Northern Ireland. That was much later. That was when I was at college, and um, for my graduate year, we had to choose a theme, something that we wanted to focus on. And I started painting portraits, and I wanted to somehow come at it from a sort of a social justice angle, not just do any old portraits, but portraits that actually meant something to me. And Lu actually, Lucy and I were in Belfast, and um, I'd heard about this Buddy Up scheme that was um, a scheme that brought together Protestant and Catholic preschool children, and of course their parents and grandparents would be involved as well. Um, from the Ardoin area, you know, the Ardoin area was very Holy much a flashpoint. It was the Holy Cross and Eden Dairy. So Holy Cross was famous for School. 
yeah. the, the older school. So these children um, were would have been pre. They call it nursery school. We probably call it preschool here. Um, would, a lot of those children would be going on to the, that Holy Cross famous school. school. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was. So yeah. So I asked one of the organisers of the Buddy Up scheme. I think I contacted them, and said that in the past I had worked for the peace movement, so I kind of knew a little bit about background of these things. Could I meet her and talk about doing a project for my graduate year in college? And she agreed, and so I ended up painting ten little portraits of five little Protestant children and five Catholic children (laughs) for this My Buddy Up portraits. And then as a result of that, I was asked to go to Stormont to show them because they were launching the scheme, um, expanding it. The scheme was already up and running, but they wanted to expand it to more schools in Northern Ireland. So Lucy came with me. We did that. That was very exciting. Yeah. And where are these portraits now? At home in a box. <laughs> and I hope the manager of the radio station, James Dukes, is listening because we really do need to extend the arts programme. <laughs> and um, Keith, you're going to have to get that box out, aren't you? Yeah, I did. I have ex- exhibited them locally. It was in the RDS Student Art Awards as well. Oh, that's right. They got selected for the Student yeah. Art Awards at the, the RDS. The year that you finished well, college. Yeah. Yeah. Which well, was a sort of a, an all-island thing that, you know, students can go, go in for at the end, when they've graduated, they can enter work in. So it got selected for that, which was nice. Uh, we are running out of time. I am so sorry to say this. <laughs> I know, uh, Lucy, you want to say hello to Sister Gabrielle. Yeah. Yes, and I was, I was <laughs> Sister Gabrielle again was part of this uh, buddy up system, the peace yeah. movement in Northern Ireland, and uh, uh, looking after children from all sides mm-hmm. of, of, of the divide. Uh, Kate, you really are going to have to come back in, and I'm going to have to get an hour show with you because <laughs> this really, I can't stop here. Mm-hmm. Maybe at some stage you could get those um, uh, portraits out. And we could have a look at them and we could chat a little bit more about them yeah, further down the line. When I when I invite myself to your garden. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and we were hoping, what we were hoping we might do when all this COVID tension and everything is over, maybe set up some workshops and that people could come and spend a day with us and do some art and use the garden as a kind of an inspiration. But that's what we sort of have in our minds, but we haven't got there yet. If you want to write my name down, Ursula Ledworth. <laughs> will be here I would look mm, forward to I would love that so I would and maybe we could do a little interview and a chat with people on the day as well for the Definitely. arts program about yeah. promoting the arts and I mean the art is so important for we like we only touched the surface here Kate uh, of what the journey you've been with your art and what you've seen and what you've mm, achieved mm. Uh, and I'd love to see more of your art and Lucy looking forward to catching up with you later on yes, um, listeners I'm really really sorry I am going to have to uh, finish chatting with Kate Kelly Desmond and Lucy Kelly Desmond but we will have them back and thank you so much for joining us this thank afternoon you, on the first show of my first show for 20 it was fun thank you 22. Yeah, we enjoyed your dancing at the beginning <laughs> don't tell everybody about my dancing <laughs> here I am coming back on air and I'm about to welcome um, uh, hello can I speak to Jamie Carswell the director of um, the yeah, okay. The director of the Irish National Clown Orchestra of Ireland. Hello, Jamie. Hello, Ursula. How are you? I'm on the line. 
Jesus. Try it. We see. Can I hear you now? Can you hear me now? Yes, I can, Jamie. Yeah. Um, yes, I can. Uh, Jamie, you are welcome to uh, Ross FM and to the arts program. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself before. Um, tell us a little bit about the uh, the clown movement, the international. Let me get it again. The Irish National Clown Orchestra of Ireland. Tell us a little bit okay. about them and what we're looking for. And uh, we chatted yesterday, and I was blown away by all the things you get involved in. So, let's start, Jamie. Good morning. Good morning, and it's a pleasure to be on the art show. Uh, yes, so I'm the director of the Irish National Clown Orchestra of Ireland, which is a very grand name, but one we just gave ourselves. I'm myself, I'm a clown and a musician, so I decided to uh, put both of these uh, loves together to form a clown orchestra. Um, yeah, and what we do is we um, play music while dressed as clowns and doing uh, funny stunts and physical comedy and engaging with the audience in uh, a funny way. It's a show for people of all ages. Uh, children love it. The parents love it. The parents love bringing their children to live music. And uh, pretty much we try to have everyone have a good time. Okay. Now, I'm sorry. I was, I, I'm, I'm doing operational matters here as well at the same time, Jamie. Some of the things I was asking you about was how do people start how do you become a clown what do you need to become a clown well that's a very good question uh, and, and you know, don't give people... me i'm sorry don't give me the obvious answers i want your answers <laughs> okay well i don't know what the obvious answer is but uh i suppose people come to clown from uh various different uh for, for very different backgrounds and very different, re- various different reasons but probably the main one Ursula, is that uh, people have seen a clown and the clown made them laugh, and they fell in love with the, the clown. And so they thought, uh, you know, I want to do that. I want to learn how to do that. I mean, I think the clown is a very special person in our society because we live in a world where we're expected to always be smart. We're expected to always know what's going on at all times. And if we don't know what's going on, we're expected to pretend that we do. You know what I mean? And that's something you clown, do very well, yes. But the, the clown doesn't have to do that. The clown accepts that, as I was saying to you yesterday, that really all human beings, from time to time, we're all idiots, we're all fools, we all do foolish things. And the clown just embraces that and says, you know what, that's a part of being human, that's a beautiful part of being human, and that's what we're going to celebrate. So the clown can just be himself or herself, be glorious and stupid, continue on through life with great hope, and I think when people see that, it makes them feel very good inside. It makes them feel happy in their heart to say, you know what, here's this idiot on stage failing and failing and failing again, but each time trying to get up and do it right the next time, and, and they, they think, I feel like that sometimes. And I think as well as that, the clown makes it effortless. So it makes that's it, right. for the person that's watching, it makes it safe. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah, that sense of being feeling safe. But I have to say that sense of effortlessness actually takes a lot of work. Yes, I can imagine that. I mean, I, I have done drama, so you know, uh, uh, falling over and tumbling over may look very easy and well done, but it actually takes a lot of effort and a lot of bruising. Well, what I would say is that it's, it's easier to pretend you're smarter than you are than it is to pretend you're stupider <laughs> than you are. <laughs> okay. Now, um... 
you and I were chatting yesterday, and I do remember, and I'll go through this again, where there would be a clown service in uh, St. Martin's in the Field in England, which was a service where old clowns got dressed up. They came to a religious event in a church called St. Martin's in the Field, and everybody thought when I would tell it that it was out in the field someplace, but in actual fact it's in Leicester Square, I think. Now, will you tell me the origin of that? Well, I'll tell you what I know. I, I don't really, I know of the event. I've never been to it, and I don't actually know many of the details, but it's a memorial mass for a famous clown, who, who uh, again, whose name I don't know. And But what it has become is it's become a celebration of clowning. Yeah. And you have all different types of clowns, from the, the kind of full-on circus clowns with the face paint and the big orange wigs and the big yellow shoes, down to the kind of more theatrical clowns, which would be a little bit, a little bit less... Uh, I mean, a little bit less kind of crazy in the way that they're dressed. And uh, that they would all come together and they would celebrate, uh, you know, this, the fact that uh, there are clowns among us, I suppose. And it, it must be an incredible sight to see. In the I've seen of it once. To have all of these clowns flocking together to a, to a, a memorial service. Yes. I'd love to go sometime. Actually, I've seen them, um, I've seen them coming out of the church was what, you know, stuck out in my mind, all these clowns coming out of church. It just... Yeah, um, a remarkable thing to see, actually, so it was. Now, well, I think it's also it's something that reminds us that, yeah, we, we, we're all clowns. And, yeah, and deep, deep down, we're all clowns. I just thought it was a nice way for the clowns all to come together to uh, celebrate their uniqueness, a community, yeah. a community. Yes. Now, when we were talking, there... sorry, when we were talking yesterday as well, we were, you were saying that there's different types of clowns there's like the circus clown there's the stage clown there's theater clowns there's different you know when we say clown we think clown but yeah. there's different yeah. areas absolutely yeah no i think there's the, the kind of the cliche of the clown which you, when you say clown as you say you imagine the white painted face the big red nose the crazy wig the big shoes the brightly colored costumes and, and, they, and they do exist but the interesting thing about that the reason why those clowns evolved to have that look was because they were performing in circus, right? So they would be performing sometimes in the middle of the ring, quite far away from the audience. The audience would be sometimes many thousands of people in the circus. So the clown had to exaggerate his or her features in order for the comedy to come through. So, for instance, if the clown is doing a bit where they trip and fall over their own feet, it helps to make the shoes really, really large so that the people who are far away, up in the back of the circus, can see the, uh, can see the comedy. The same with the facial features as well, the kind of exaggeration of the facial features as well, would come from a practical reason in order to transmit the comedy to the audience in a large circus. But in the theater clown, you can, because the audience would be closer, you can sort of tone down the clowniness, and still the comedy would still come through. And then again, if you look at film, you know, you have people like Buster Keaton yeah. and The Silence or Charlie Chaplin. I mean, they were theater clowns, you know, or circus clowns. Buster Keaton used to work in the circus. The Marx Brothers as well, they used to work in Lordville. And even if you look in contemporary, people like Jim Carrey, you know, Jim Carrey, the actor, you yeah. know, very clowny, clowny kind of, he, he is a clown, but not in the sense that you would imagine a clown. So... Yeah, it, it has evolved to cover all kinds of looks and with red noses, without red noses, you know, all, all the different uh, kind of approaches. And that's one of the nice things about clown as well is that it's a state of being, a state of mind, maybe, rather than, 
you know, a state of dress. So you can be a clown dressed in a business suit. You know, that can be your clown. Wow. <laughs> I can't answer that one. <laughs> Jamie. I'm sure many people can. I'm sure many people have met many clowns. I'm not going to go there, Jamie. Um, just tell me a little bit now about uh, how I came across you was because of the Irish National Clown Orchestra of Ireland. And again, yeah. it was something I knew nothing about. Tell us about, a bit about your orchestra. Okay, well, you, are we are, the, you are the director of this orchestra. I'm the director. I also play music in the orchestra. I'm a musician as well. So it's myself and a few other clown musicians. And we were working in other bands, and uh, each of us as individuals were, were kind of funny people who liked to have fun and liked to act like, like idiots. So we all came together. I kind of pulled them together and made it a clown orchestra so that we could explore how to be silly and how to have fun with music. And it's kind of grown from there. We've been around since 2014. We are based up here in Sligo, but uh, oh, we travel anywhere. I didn't yeah, realize you were in Sligo. Sligo, right? Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just, just, you're just, uh, just up the road from you guys. Yes. And uh, we have played in arts festivals, played in arts venues. We played at the Electric Picnic. You know, we played in a number of different venues. And like I said, it's one of those shows that you can bring your little kids to if you have kids but you yourself as the parent is also going to enjoy yourself and um, it's made for quite a successful show and at the moment what we're trying to do is we're expanding the show a little bit we are looking for new performers we are gearing up to do a bit of work with uh, a very famous clown from the Basque country in northern Spain called Aitor Basauri he's going to come in and work with us this is a guy who has worked with Cirque du Soleil and the theater company Spy Monkey, for instance, and a very, very acclaimed clown. And we're hoping from that to put, put together a new, a new show that we'll be touring in the summer of this year. Okay. Um, so, well, how, if, right, if we wanted to keep up to date with uh, your orchestra and uh, the yeah. venues that you're going to be playing at, do you have a Facebook yeah. page or, you know, how can our listeners um, tune in to you? Yeah. Yeah, we do have a Facebook page, and we don't have a website at the moment, but we're gearing up to uh, we're gearing up to to do a website. But we have a Facebook page, so if you look up the Irish National Clown Orchestra of Ireland on Facebook. Sorry, say that again. And, uh, Sorry, Jamie, say the, that. Uh, it, yeah, sure. It's the Irish National Clown Orchestra of Ireland. Sure. It's a very grand name, I, I, I know, but uh, that's kind of part of the part of the shtick, really. Okay. So um, yeah, find us on Facebook. Give us a like. Give us a follow. And uh, hopefully we'll be playing in your area soon. You, know, you never know. Yeah, we'd definitely. I'd love to come and love to come and see you if you're in our area in Roscommon. We'd love to see you. And um, yeah. you are, you're also looking for um, more cl- clowns to join your orchestra. We are, yeah. Well, so at the moment we're, we're casting a particular role, but I'm also looking to expand kind of a, a network of clowns in Ireland for you know for ongoing future work and. The nature of the orchestra is something that can always get bigger and bigger and bigger, you know. Right now we're more of a chamber orchestra, but we could be a symphony orchestra someday, you never know. Okay, and again, I suppose if they went on to your Facebook page, there would be anyone that would be interested in, in making contact and maybe exploring their possibility of joining the orchestra uh, and, and working as a clown, uh, can uh, talk to yourself there, Jamie, uh, through All the Facebook page. All the details page. are there, that's right. All yeah. the details are there. Yeah. Um, Jamie, I'm, I'm I'm blown away, as I said when I was talking to you yesterday, blown away. I didn't realise that we had such an organisation in Ireland uh, as clowns. I mean, 
I suppose now and again at St Patrick's Day Parade you might see a clown blowing up balloons and, yeah. and that's about all you that's all about all I probably would have thought of knowing about clowns as I said apart well, from there's a couple of great there's a couple of great circuses in Ireland there's Fawcett's and, and Duffy's and they have clown shows as well and, and also there there are clowns in the theatre you see the clowns from the odd time on the Abbey stage you know Okay, I suppose I um, I haven't been to the circus in, in, in years. I don't even know what's in the circus anymore. So, um, look, I have to get out and about a little bit more, Jamie. When I do, I'll come back and I might join your, your band of clowns. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> if, you have, if you have me. And will you say hello to my youngest listener, Otis? Say that again? My youngest listener that I would think would be listening in today. Is his name Otis? Oh, the little guy here? Yeah, yes. my little son is called Otis. I'm keeping an eye on him now as I'm talking to you. Okay. He's being very well behaved. He has been very he's well. Clown, he's the top clown of all. He's, in, he's my inspiration. He's your inspiration. Well, I'm thanking him for tuning in to Ross FM, to the arts program uh, today, Wednesday, I, on the 2nd of the 2nd, 22. Um, Jamie, oh, okay. I'm going to finish off with uh, the song uh, Send In the Clowns, and I look forward to catching up with you in our area again. And thank you so much. Jamie Thank you, Carswell. All the best. Thank you. Delighted to be chatting with Jamie uh, Carswell, the director of um, the orchestra and uh, the Irish National Clown Orchestra of Ireland. Uh, now we're heading on over to our ads and uh, we will be back with uh, another guest, another interesting guest, uh, somebody I met um, many years ago when we were making a documentary and it's a very historical and important day today. So we will be chatting to our next guest uh, just after the ads. Right, uh, here I am back on air uh, on the arts programme. It's a busy show, so it is a busy programme, and I kept going. Station managers kept going too. <laughs> so so we're all busy here, and I see the other studio was full, so it's a, a full house here on uh, um, Roscommon um, uh, Community uh, Radio. Next guest. Hello, Sean. Hello there, how are you, I am absolutely delighted to welcome an old friend of mine, Sean Brown, here onto Ross FM, onto the Arts Show. And um, Sean and I go back a long way, so we do, but uh, today I asked him to come on air because today is a very historical day. But I'm going to leave that till near the end. Sean, you're noted for your photography, for your uh, railway museum, and um, for your gift of the gab. I must have kissed the Glarney Stone twice. Did you, to be sure? <laughs> well, can I tell you it works, Sean? <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. You must be talking too much, you know. But <laughs> you, you have one mouth and two ears, you see, you know. Well, I'm going to have to get a word in edge with here every now and then, Sean, so I am... <laughs> <laughs> I know money messing. Uh, Sean, I uh, let's tell us a little bit about your 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 love of the railway and your love of photography. That's your, I suppose that's your hobby, that's your life, and that's your that's your world, isn't it? Well, it is. But um, I, the reason I got into the railway thing is I was born in the fifties, and um, I was railway with an uncle, uh, John Duquin, and his uh, job was delivering stuff around the town, and he set me up on the back of the horse and cart. And uh, steam was on the way out at that stage. And uh, I was really, at that t- time, I got bit of the bow. I'd often, of course, uh, Father Finnegan says, the boy shows the men as morning shows today, like, you know. So I think that I was to say that once, I'd give it the boy and then give it back to the man. You know, you never change, you know, you're still the same. And I have that interest on in life. And it goes back then, right back to that time, you know. And um, it remained dormant really until about 1975. I was away for a few years, and the uh, Preservation Society were running a rail tour on the last trip from Claremorris over to Caluny and the Burma Road. 
and I, I, at that time I thought all the steam was actually cut up and uh, the RPSI were uh, two locals and uh, one was going to Paris Claymarns and the other one was going to Paris Sligo and that's what got me going again and I joined society so uh, ever since then now that's nearly oh, God, it's 46 years ago now you know and it's a coincidental thing happened on that particular day the locomotive I have here in the museum actually was coming up from um, up from Westport that morning and it crossed the RPSI train in um, in Athlone so actually I have a photograph of the loco I have here and the rail tour that got me going again so it, it was just that it was gentle that it happened in that particular day there were 60 of them all together and just happened to be the one that I got happened to pass the RPSI rail tour on that day on the 31st of May 1975 and that was when you were bringing the train to your museum. Um, oh, 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 no, no, that happened 20 years afterwards. Oh, did it? That was, yeah, there was, that actually, that loco was in service for another 20 years until it was withdrawn in March 1995. 19, um, and that's when I got it then, uh, for the price of the sum of £1,600. Uh, My God. And who would have thought of buying a train? No, but I remember as a, as a young lad going up, you see, I, I, if you, people that would have, of certain age would remember, the train actually went from um, Athlone on to uh, Mullingar until about 1973. Yeah. And uh, I used to go up there, and I was, what they used to do with me at that stage was put a label on me, you see. And <laughs> <laughs> you think there was a bloody ch- ch- chicken that were sitting. But, um, and you were I, some I, chicken, I, yeah. You were some chicken. I, 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 mean, oh, I, I don't know about that part, but I was picked up in Conley Station uh, by, my, by my sister and her husband. And uh, when I was going through Mullingar, I used to see, at that particular time, this is in the 60s, I saw hundreds of steam engines up for scrapping. They cut them all up. Actually, there was only three left in the finish. The 800 cut up at one stage. And uh, it, was, it was a fellow called Hugh McKeown, pleaded with the board at the time to preserve three. And that's what we all were left with in the finish, you know. But I saw all these engines. So over the years, I said, if I was old enough, uh, and uh, I was in a position that I could uh, maybe uh, uh, get the, a locomotive from CIE. I just tried, but then I was very fortunate. In 1992, um, we had this um, Nighthawks here, and the CEO um, David Waters was in the in, in in because of that reason. And so that in three years afterwards, when I applied for, it, oh, lucky enough, he was a Mio man. It was him. He actually said I could have it. So only only for that I, I wouldn't have got it at all because it's all, it's, it's important to know somebody and he took the trust in me that I'd be able to. They didn't want the situation to arise that you were going to just take Abandon it and throw it out the back, you yeah, know, yeah. you know that, that you had to dig it up and stuff like that. So I, I was all that's twenty three years ago. And I never regret it since, actually, you know. Can I just tell our listeners here, which I'm sure everyone knows, but just in case you're tuned in from abroad or in the United States of America or in Canada, um, throughout Europe, Sean Brown uh, has um, a pub in Castlereagh, which is turned in, in, into a railway a museum. And inside in the railway museum, there is actually a railway carriage uh, with uh, the the engine, the whole engine front of the carriage, and then seating arrangements uh, as the carriage would have been in its day. Uh, am I right in describing that, Sean? Yeah, no, I I wouldn't say a carriage. I call it a locomotive. A locomotive, okay. Yeah, but, and I, when when I used to be, I used to get a footplate pass from CIE, and it meant I could travel with the driver. So I knew the setup of this particular locomotive. So before I actually got it, I knew that I could turn the engine room into a a, a lounge. 
so you could you could have it for people sitting in this that's that's what that, that, that made it a bit unique yes. because if I left engine in, I wouldn't be able to bring anybody through it you know they might have, and, and you actually um tore down part of your wall in, in the pub I can't think of the name of the pub Hell's Kitchen is it oh it's Hell's Kitchen yeah. I had to give the impression you see that it was after crashing through the back of the yeah. wall you see into the pub and uh, had to it was Ojo Humbrug now a fair play to him he, he's an architect there in Wisconsin. He, he was very influential because he came up with the plans and I you know I, I was still thinking about it only for him and he proceeded actually put the put the tin hat in he's a fantastic architect and like he was a great man to come by and uh, stand by me and he, he, he planned the whole lot out and he, I found an excellent work with him he's a great lad but he was he was great influence you want to have somebody pushing you as smart with him because yeah, a dreamer is a dreamer but because if you get someone to push him it's surprising how it can come about That's well can I just say uh, for our listeners as well Sean I've been to the museum I, I've had a tour of the museum and my goodness you have so much um, memorabilia from all over um, including the, the bell that used to ring in Athlone when the train oh, was yeah. leaving, the station master there that time, and he was ringing the bell, and someone said to Monday, "Why are you ringing the bell? Oh, I guess some lady in the toilet." <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I got that. The, the fellow that had, had that bell, he held it for seven years in his locker because, it, you know, it, it was nearly thrown out on a skip. That's the pity about a lot of the railway stuff over the years. It's actually dumped, you know. Yeah. Because I often say today's rubbish is tomorrow's jewels, you know. Yes, yes, and it's important to save that and to save the heritage. Um, Sean, um, I have a couple of questions uh, ready to ask you. One, uh, and I'm going to get off the business of uh, railway for one minute, and I'm going to end up with the reason I actually did get in contact with you. You have a very famous sister who is no longer with us, yes. Mary Brown was her name and she joined the Vanguard in 1959 and it's, it's not the reason because she was actually more intelligent than anybody else but the, when the girls went in that time to be the, the Vanguard they called them so she was picked because of that basically order her name being Brown right. and uh, she became she had uh, training I remember when I was only young at the time it was the Phoenix Park and um, I remember the day she passed out she used the word marching up and down like hell and um, that was 1959, and then she became sergeant. Then about 1960, and then she got married to Olga Martin, who, who became it was a guard actually down in Ballyconnell, and she had to get out that time. The women would realise that if the man she became got married, that finished that finished her job. Then mm. you know, so that's when she got out. And did you tell me she trained as a teacher? She did that. She did. She did for a while, yeah. and then she was she was she actually worked uh, below in the local. Um, the local uh, exchange here in Castle Reef, uh, uh, for you know, and, um, and then she joined the garage then. But well, 1959, that's a long time ago now, you know. So Mary Brown was the first vanguard in Ireland. Not that she was the only lady in the uh, passing out parade, but because of her uh, her name being Brown and B being up on the alphabet. Oh yeah, that's what they would like because it was it was someone else. And there was a, it was called Andersons. They would be first, you yes. know. So okay. that he just ha- happened to be good. And then I, I remember seeing the evening paper uh, that evening, and you could see her on duty in the Connell Street, and she was talking to some fellow into a car. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it was years after before we got the first bag uh, here in Castlebury. You know, she 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 only retired now lately. You know, so that that 
had to be over a period of 30, about 30 years ago, you know. Yeah. So it was, it was very unique. And at that time, they brought over an inspector from uh, the, the British police to train them in the Phoenix Park, you know. Really? And then I think in, in 1963, they moved down then as far as Templemore. You know, every time I do see the, the Phoenix Park, I do think of her, you know, you usually see anything that happens as the broadcast is done from there, actually, you know. Mm. In the line of, uh, Sorry? I think we came across this information because you did a docu- documentary with us about the railway a couple of years ago, the railway children. Oh, yeah, that, I remember doing that with you there, all right, actually, you know. Yeah, we did the life and times of the people uh, and the train coming to Atlone, the White Bridge and and beyond. The race was on to Atlone and you were very helpful with us at that because you had been, as you said, up and down the railway all your life with your cameras and your photography. And your son, uh, Shane, he um, he used to present here on, on Ross FM as well. Oh, yeah, I think Shane would know him well, dear. Um, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have him because um, he's... Uh, with the technology part of it, you know, because only for him, I wouldn't bear to continue because he's, he's very good at it, like, you know, because, I mean, I was over 50 before I got into a computer. I, I was reared up with the cards in a way, you know, so that he keeps me well in advance. And I don't think I'd be able to continue with the video um, thing only for him, you know. And now the reason why I phoned you. Today is a historical day, the 2nd of February, what was it, 19... 19... Oh, 1963. Uh, yeah, it was. It was. It was uh, actually, the station closed at this time. The last train left Balladrine for um, Kilfree uh, and uh, 59 years ago. I tell you why I got connected. I missed the last train because about a month afterward, my uncle brought me down the Ferris Island Road to, for sleepers. That's all he was interested in at the time. So actually, they hadn't lifted uh, Ferris Island Road. So I, I, as that said, I was intrigued with Balladrine and I took an interest in so that everything belonged to Balladrine I could collect, I got it. And fortunately, the locomotive was brought back to Strigo. It left there until the following of October of 63, and then it was taken, like all the rest of them, back to Mullingar to be scrapped. And Christy Brunkin was transferred to a boil. So actually it was him that went, jumped on the locomotive, took the injector handle, and 30 years after they gave it to me. So that's all the steps of it now, you know. Okay. And it was, it was Balladrine has a distinction I've been the last place in the Republic to have a public uh, steam locomotive went into it. And, and, and that's, it's like from once the 2nd of February came, that's finished the passengers. And then on the 28th of February, 63, uh, steam was completely eliminated in the Republic. Sean, we're running out of time. Like the train, running out of time. Running out of steam here, so I am. But I will make it my business to be back down in Castlery in the museum uh, sometime during the summer. I thoroughly enjoyed my trip there. I would recommend it, particularly for children. It's it's a lovely, easy uh, place to visit and um, loads of interest and loads of historical uh, pieces there. Sean, I'm going to have to end up with Careless Hands. It's a, a, a song by Slim Whitman. You probably never heard of him. You're too far too young to hear Slim Whitman. But I'm playing out oh, with it. <laughs> You're nearly his grandfather, are you? What to say? We've had these officers three score and ten, and after that, good luck to you. Good luck to you, uh, Sean. Uh, thank you for taking this call uh, uh, at the last minute. I had another program lined up, but I just. 
it's St Bridget's Day and it was uh, honouring all the goddesses that were um, illuminated on the GPO etc and I just um, today just wouldn't be the day that we'd be able to do it so we'll do it some other time Sean thank you so much for joining us here on the Arts Programme Ross FM and um, thank you once again Right, thanks much, Ross, and the best of luck with your program. God bless. God bless to you too. Bye bye, bye. Um, we are really running out of time. I can't believe the time has gone so fast. I'd just like to say uh, a happy, uh, I remember my mum on her birthday, and again to all the goddesses on St. Bridget's Day, and particularly remembering um, our friends that uh, are not here to celebrate St. Bridget's Day with us this year. We will look at that at another time. Time has um, caught up with us. I'm finishing up with Slim Whitman, uh, Careless Hands. Talk to you next week. Take care.